Hello there, I'm Peter Bruce, and this is a weekly report. Uh, it's a new thing for me, a podcast we've called Podcast from the Edge, which was a play, you may recognize the name, on a very funny autobiographical novel by the actress Carrie Fisher, where she was kind of always holding on to her sanity. And in my podcast, I've tried to do the same and be true to what I often feel, that I don't have any idea about what is going on, and I know I'm not alone thing is you need to know you don't need to know everything but you need to know enough and the way I do that is by talking to people who know more than me. I've been trying to keep up with the many forms of resistance lately um, that what remains of the Ozuma faction of the ANC mounts in order to destabilize President Cyril Ramaphosa. It isn't easy because the resistance goes on everywhere and all the time. And one of the hardest things to find in South Africa is a journalist or a publication that can actually tell you what is going on. That's not a criticism. It's just a fact. I spent 17 years editing publications in this country. And by the time my time was over, I still wasn't sure I'd, find, I'd found or hired anyone who really knew what was going on in the ANC. And of course, it's really the only question that mattered. Diplomats and investors want to know. Foreign correspondents here posted want to know. And all they, they all read the local media to find out, and mostly they're always disappointed. The one person I was fortunate enough to hire who came closest to penetrating the inner machinations of the ANC and its factions was Karima Brown, who was Business Day's political editor for around five years during my tenure as editor. Karima has done many things and, and since we parted company, but she remains still easily the best source, in my view, in journalism about what's going on inside the ANC. It's why I'm looking forward to talking to her today. Karima, hello and welcome. And Cyril Ramaphosa, uh, interestingly enough, and, and purely by chance, uh, as far as this uh, conversation is concerned, he holds his third South African investment conference this week. And although we don't know it, presumably foreign and local investors will attend and will hear the president ask them for more money. But here's the thing. If you are a potential investor in South Africa and you're new, um, uh, or even if, you, even if you've been around for a while, how do you assess the president's ability to deliver the projects that he's asking you to invest in? In other words, if you're an investor or even a local businessman, how do you measure Soro Ramaphosa's political position? What, I suppose, in the, in the language of sort of the chattering classes, what is the balance of forces? How is he doing and how can we measure him? It is incredibly ironic that your podcast is called a Podcast from the Edge because I literally feel like I'm struggling to hold on to my sanity uh, to get to what you are so uh, keenly, um, you know, um, aware that we need to understand, which is what is going on in this, you know, behemoth called the African National Congress. And more importantly, how do we assess the strength of the man who has been elected to lead it? Uh, and of course, that is Cyril Ramaphosa. Um, so interestingly enough, Peter, just before uh, um, I got ready for this podcast, as I do every Monday, I touch base with senior folk inside the African National Congress, both inside the cabinet as well as those in the party, uh, to get a sense of where things are at. And of course, the reason why I was doing that 
is for the very reason uh, that we're discussing the matter today, which is that we have this all-important third investment conference happening. And of course, um, the former president, Jacob Zuma, is appearing at the Zondo Commission of Inquiry in uh, what is seen by many as a last-ditch attempt to try and prevent uh, you know, him from being held accountable. And what I heard from a few uh, members of the African National Congress, very senior ones, members of the NEC, of the National Working Committee, and some who also serve in cabinet, they were saying to me, uh, Karima, we are in a very serious uh, phase of the fight back campaign of those who are implicated in state capture. One chap I spoke to, Peter, is in fact in his home province. And I asked him, uh, you know, what are you doing there? I actually wanted him to be a guest on my show, uh, The Fix. And he said, well, I'm here to be on the ground because we have dispatched ourselves um, because we are very concerned about how what is playing out in the country is affecting ANC structures and communities, particularly uh, given that COVID-19 has prevented us from being in our branches. So there's a very real sense of anxiety amongst um, the top leaders of the African National Congress about what they think is a very delicate and very dangerous period, fluid political period in the country's history. And that is, of course, the ability of folks who are being held accountable in, may I add, a lot of fora from the Zondo Commission of Inquiry to the courts, uh, to, um, you know, institutions for their behavior during that almost, you know, decade-long period of former President Jacob Zuma's rule. So there's a sense of anxiety amongst the people who serve in the administration of the president. And if one is to use that as a yardstick, then one can say that President Ramaphosa is determined to clean up the state. He's determined to restore uh, institutions uh, that have been hollowed out uh, from the South African Revenue Services uh, to very key state-owned companies and also, most importantly, our law enforcement agencies. But he is being resisted, as you correctly said in your intro, resisted around every corner. Um, by people who are absolutely determined uh, to not be held accountable and to want that impunity to continue. So it's a delicate egg by a dance that the president is doing um, and he is being challenged. But I think the fact that these processes have not collapsed despite the marches, despite the last minute attempts to bedevil the legal system, gives you an understanding of the determination of Cyril Ramaphosa, who may I add won his elective conference with an incredibly narrow margin uh, yeah. three years ago, Peter. Yeah. So, Karima, I mean, he must have nerves of steel, really, because in order to, you know, you have, let's start with what's happening today. So, there's argument going on at the Zondo Commission of Inquiry into state capture. Um, uh, Jacob Zuma has been subpoenaed and has indeed uh, pitched up at the at the inquiry, um, but his, uh, his legal team have argued, have, uh, argued, tried to make a case and have asked for Zondo to recuse himself. Uh, and I think as we are talking now, um, um, the, the legal team at the commission is rebutting, uh, is rebutting that argument. And it does seem likely that the, the recusal uh, will, uh, will, will request will fail. Um, 
So what are we in for uh, if Jacob Zuma now has to testify uh, for the next couple of days? There's not a large crowd of people outside. Not many people seem to be that concerned. Would he do what Dudu Mieni did the other day and simply just refuse to answer questions for the next four days? Or does he, um, uh, you know, does he do the honourable thing um, and, and give the testimony that he keeps saying that he wants to give? You know, Peter, it's interesting because President, uh, former President Jacob Zuma is at the proceedings. I'm literally keeping my eye on the telly as I'm speaking with you and I've been watching the developments the whole morning. Um, yeah. He is there with his legal representative, Musi Sakakani. And of course, outside are his supporters in the MKVA, uh, you know, saying that the commission is biased against him. And in the um, evidence uh, that, or rather in the submission that Advocate uh, Sikakani made to uh, Deputy Justice, um, uh, Chief Justice Raymond Zondo, he actually said, if you force me, and I'm quoting him verbatim, Peter, if you force me to bring him here, he will sit in that corner and he will refuse to answer questions. So he's definitely uh, laying the grounds, Peter, if they don't win this battle on which, of course, the Deputy Chief Justice needs to rule. If they don't win their right uh, to dislodge him from the commission, uh, we are going to see Jacob Zuma take the stand and do what Dudu Mieni did and say, I will not answer for fear of incriminating myself. Which, which is not... Uh, which is not the end of the world in itself, because Zuma at, at Zondo can still draw his own conclusions, uh, which he would have to do in, in his final report anyway, and which, as Musi Sikikana warned, the president would more than likely take on review. But that doesn't matter either, really, because once um, uh, the president has foregone a, an opportunity to answer uh, questions put to him, um, he, he is not, he is, it, it doesn't, the mere fact of not having said anything doesn't prevent the National Prosecuting Authority from pursuing him. Is that right? Absolutely, Peter. I think you're spot on. Um, in fact, when uh, Judu Mieni did what she did, um, there were two things that happened with her testimony. The one was that she couldn't resist Peter, even though she kind of took the fifth, if you like, uh, on the, the majority of questions. She couldn't resist uh, engaging in the political narrative that she saw coming out of the line of questioning. And I wonder if former President Jacob Zuma is going to fall into the same trap. And what that meant was that it gave you an indication that um, she is willfully um, trying to avoid implicating herself. That's the first yeah. thing. And then the yeah. second thing is that what Dudu Mieni didn't understand was that you are actually incriminating yourself more if you don't speak because you um, you see the opportunity to set the record straight in, yeah. in many ways. And I think that is the dilemma for Jacob Zuma. And I think that's why Musi Sakakani is fighting really hard, um, even at the level of the fantastical, because we've now already gone on to, you know, trying to evaluate the uh, Deputy Chief Justice, the psyche, around yeah. bias and a whole range of non-legal yeah. factors yeah. Um, about whether or not he's uh, the person fit to hear this evidence. And I think that uh, this is really the end of the road for uh, Jacob Zuma, Peter. Uh, this is the moment of truth. This is his tryst with destiny, really. Yeah. Uh, Karima, judging uh, from what we've heard this morning, um, 
if if it ever was Jacob Zuma's intention to to collapse this commission of inquiry, he's not going to succeed. Absolutely not. He is not going to succeed at all. If um, the idea was to, for example, embarrass the uh, Deputy Chief Justice by leaking information that they have a personal relationship uh, or by the fact that they are old acquaintances, that was thoroughly addressed by the Deputy Chief Justice this morning when he did what um, the other judges before him did when a conflict of interest arose in the famous uh, Louis Late Mandela case. So what he did was he um, explained to the commission uh, and to, of course, everyone watching what the nature of the relationship was between him and Jacob Zuma over all these decades, Peter. And um, from what uh, he spoke, and it will be incredibly hard for Jacob Zuma's lawyers to discount this. Uh, the relationship has been one of, um, you know, people who knew each other back in the days of the struggle. um, And they happen to, on occasion, bump into each other and, of course, share mutual acquaintances. But when it comes to intimate matters, for example, the death of any sibling or even the parent of the justice, um, you know, Jacob Zuma had never even attended a funeral. And the Deputy Chief Justice dealt very eloquently and I think very factually with yeah. what the nature of the relationship is. And um, he was emphatic. And so I think on the first count in terms of just strategy, Peter, that strategy backfired because that personal link isn't actually established. And of course, the child that is uh, there as a consequence of the yeah. Deputy Chief Justice's, you know, um, uh, um, uh, relationship with uh, someone uh, who was linked to Jacob Zuma's former wife uh, is something that is over 20 years old. So really a very yeah. phony, very lame effort. Very yeah. phony, a very, a very poor smear campaign. Um, Absolutely. And backfiring horribly. If anything, yeah. I think a lot of South Africans just have increased faith in, the, in, yeah. in Zonda. What what is interesting, Karima, though, is you know how what we don't know, and why your friend that you spoke to this morning was back in his province, was we don't know how any of this is playing in the in in the branches, right? We don't know what the what the what the latest arrests are, how they're playing out. We don't know how Zuma's tactics in the Zondo Commission. We don't know anything about what the ANC base is thinking, and and is partly that's COVID related, but also partly because the ANC is so impenetrable. Spot on, Peter. So this person that I spoke with actually said uh, because of COVID, people aren't able to do the kind of, um, you know, managing of members. Uh, But one of the things that the person did say to me was that the instruction that had been going out is, for example, the question of ANC membership. As you know, there's a lot of contention around that, and that matters a lot because there's gatekeeping happening and you can exercise control through controlling the branches. So um, if uh, someone's membership, for example, um, uh, you know, uh, would lapse, um, the branches are encouraged to just kind of go through the process uh, the audit processes. So it's almost kind of a holding position, if you like, uh, in terms of just managing administratively those branches, but also politically. What the person said to me, Peter, was that when people see on television, as they did with Ace Mahashule, when his supporters, you know, literally kind of yeah. descended on courts, is that people would worry that um, on the TV, uh, it would appear as if the Zuma forces are incredibly strong. When, yeah. of course, we know that um, on uh, Friday, uh, there were 
you know, several anti-corruption organizations also outside of the court, but the perception about, uh, you know, his strength and uh, whether he's winning uh, could impact on how people, uh, you know, see the battle for control and the balance of forces in the ANC. So what these um, ANC members are doing is basically to just ensure that there's a proper channel of communication, Peter, and that what is being played out in the public domain is being properly communicated uh, so that it is, um, you know, in concert with the facts of the, of the matter rather than the perception of how this is playing. And I think that is why the Zumbab chaps are so desperate to win this public war because yeah. they know that politics in the end is as much about power as it is about perception, Peter. Kareem, just a question. So if, the, if there are people going out to, to calm nerves and to settle nerves and to explain, who is, I don't want to use the word mastermind, but who controls? Who organizes all of that? I mean, Ramaphosa can't doesn't can't stay awake twenty four hours a day. So, who who's the who's the puppet master? Not the puppet master, but who who gets that job done? I think there's a range of people. You know, um, it's interesting when you look at Ramaphosa's closest allies in the African National Congress. It's it's the people who cut their teeth, Peter, in the mass democratic movement. People who had to organize under conditions of illegality against the apartheid regime. So it's people who know how to go deep onto the ground. Um, so people are being reached uh, through the churches, through civil society organizations, through social media, uh, through social justice organizations. And you would have seen the Orange Mask campaign, which is made up of over 27 organizations. And they also outside of the commission, mind you, insisting that they support Zondo and that the commission work must happen without intimidation. Um, they are part of, I think, the forces that make sure that Ramaphosa is strengthened. Um, and then, of course, there are people inside the organization. And then um, people often don't like to admit this, particularly business people. But the ANC's left flank, Kosatu and the South African Communist Party, play an incredibly important part in rallying that space for constitutionalism under Ramaphosa. And they've yeah. been hard at work in communities. Uh, and then, of course, there are many uh, veterans inside the ANC, people like Trevor Manuel, uh, people like Cheryl Carolas, people like, uh, you know, um, Murphy Morobe, and a whole host of other people uh, that are working literally uh, the criss uh, crisscrossing the country, speaking to communities, to okay. institutions. Um, and I think those are the people uh, that are doing the groundwork. If anyone wants to cast their minds back, Peter, to the attempt by Jacob Zuma to have Praveen Gordon and Ivan Pillay arrested, that crowd that met uh, with Sipo Pichana in Pretoria, that's the crowd that's holding the line for yeah. uh, the president in the country and also in the state, might I add, Peter. Yeah. So, Karima, when, when, you know, just with the, with the foreign investors um, arriving for this conference uh, this week, let's help them understand a couple of things. What, how, how do you explain the Ace Machashule um, uh, arrest, um, his court appearance, the charges against him, and then this quite significantly big um, sort of demonstration, which uh, I'm not quite sure how many people, have, what the estimates were, but it was big enough to fill a, you know, big enough to fill a TV screen um, <laughs> and they made a lot of noise. What are investors supposed to make of that? I think what the investors are supposed to read into that, uh, Peter, is an organization 
that is unlike um, governing parties in, let's say, uh, you know, Britain uh, or the, let me not use the US as a bad example, but let's say traditional kind of democracies. We have a governing party that is uh, essentially an amalgamation of various forces and tendencies that kind of holds it together. So as we know, um, when President Jacob Zuma was ousted as party president um, um, or as sitting president of the country, what you had was a set of ANC leaders that was very determined to restore, as I said previously, uh, the confidence um, into institutions, chief among it, our uh, law enforcement agencies and the rule of law. So when you see someone as powerful as Mr. Mahashule, essentially the number two uh, in the African National Congress, actually appearing before a court of law. I think investors should be encouraged because one, it sends a signal, Peter, that the culture of impunity of a decade is over. Because I don't even think Mr. Mahashule himself realized that he would one day have to explain himself in a court of law. The yeah. second thing is that the uh, people outside the court, that is a, a, a page straight out of the Zuma playbook of 2005. Um, as you know, I was uh, your uh, political um, writer at Business Day. In 2005, Tabumbeki sacks Jacob Zuma from the executive as deputy president following Shabir Sheikh's conviction on fraud and corruption. Zuma then says, I'm not step, I'm going to step aside, but only the branches are able to do that. He then leaves the stage, um, you know, in terms of the executive and says, I will you know, abide by my organization. He's triumphantly returned in the National General Council meeting held in Pretoria. And he, you know, he literally launches his fight back uh, and goes right on despite a rape trial to dislodge Mbeki from office in 2017. So Isma Hashuli tried the same with um, people outside the court suggesting that this is a political trial. It's a conspiracy. But here's the reality, Peter. It's not 2005. Ace Mahashule is not Jacob Zuma. He doesn't have the ANC Youth League. It doesn't really exist. He doesn't have the Women's League. They have lost their power. The unions, as I said, and uh, the uh, uh, SACP, an important, small, but vocal and influential group. He yeah. doesn't have control of any of them. And then, of course, also... Crucially, Karima, he doesn't have, judge, he doesn't have a judge, Chris Nicholson lurking in the absolutely with a wayward judgment to get him off the hook absolutely in fact if you look at the charges and the charge sheet that was brought uh you know um and of course the fact that uh, mr mahashuli's pa during the time he was the premier of the free state has turned state witness and she's of course sitting in america being protected by no less than the fbi uh then the conditions yeah. are extremely different so this nostalgic hark back to try and initiate um you know a strategic move um you know a la zuma 2005 is simply out of touch with the reality. More importantly, Peter, we uh, are not prepared to swallow conspiracy theories anymore because unlike Bulelani Nguka, who did play politics with Jacob Zuma when he went public and said, I've got a prima facie case, but I'm not going to move. The NPA this time deftly sidestepped an attempt by Isma Khashoggi to ensnare them. Remember a few weeks ago, uh, there was rumors that, uh, you know, he was going to be arrested and he made this whole long song and dance. The NPA didn't bite. Yeah. They played it by the book and in fact incurring, uh, you know, the wrath of journalists like myself who argued bloody well move faster. And they were saying, we are going to do what we're going to do. If we have a case, we will bring it. And of course, when they were ready, 
the um, you know, authorities in the free state where Mr. Mahashule eventually appeared informed us, yes, a warrant has been issued. He will not be arrested. He will hand himself over and will come to court. So they saw the trap. They didn't fall for the bait. They sidestepped it. And those are very encouraging signs. One, for constitutionalism. Two, for the rule of law. And three, the culture of impunity is over. And that's what Cyril Ramaphosa is taking to that third investment conference. And that's what, what, what investors want to hear because they want certainty, Peter. And I think if they want certainty on his commitment to act against corruption, the um, appearance of Mahashule uh, at court and today Zuma yeah. having to literally try gymnastics at Zondo is testimony to the fact that he's determined to make good on that promise. What I was interested in the appearance of the FBI um, in, in, the, in the Ace Mahashule thing, because as you say, his former PA, who's now turned state witness, was just interviewed by the by the um, by the FBI the other, prior to the arrest warrant, and in fact, her turning state witness appears to have given the NPA the confidence finally to go ahead and charge him. Um, is there cooperation going on between the FBI and the A and the and the NPA here, and and you know, with a, with a, with a wider view to state capture? Yes, there is. As you know, because um, the state capture investigations involves, um, you know, tracing quite complex money transfers through international banks, uh, there has been communications and a memorandum of understanding and agreements with various institutions, law enforcement agencies globally, uh, and also countries. Um, and you know, the FBI has a rule, if you use their banks for anything, if a single cent uh, is spent in dollar terms to get to an American bank to whoever they pursue you. I mean, Seth Blatter can account for how they arrested him. Uh, you yeah. know, um, so there's no escaping them. When the Americans saddle up uh, in terms of money laundering, they, you know, it's really hard for you to do um, a, a runner. They literally find you wherever. Yeah. And I think that. That is uh, what uh, is undergirding uh, the confidence of the NPA. And as you saw, uh, the um, you know officials saying they've got a case, yeah. they believe their case is strong, they took their time, and now the courts will have to be the theatre where this matter is And they're ready for trial. Absolutely, yeah. They're ready for trial, according to. So this is the thing. So what I wanted, what I wanted to ask you, Karima, was was um, the the NPA said it's ready to go to trial. Uh, in, in February, it's about the 19th of February, I think is the date that was set. Uh, there may or may, be, may or may not be some delay in that, but if they're ready, this has been always been the point of delay so far, uh, is the state not having it proper, it's, its act together. If they're ready, presumably uh, ACE is gonna have to be ready and there'll be a limited amount of time allowed for him to, to, de to delay. What is, what, is he, what is his political future look like over the next say, Eight months. I mean, is he going to be able to influence and hang around and influence the outcome or the uh, the course of the national ANC's National General Council meeting, which he announced at, to the crowd outside court the other day? Uh, was going to be in May, which is not a long way away from the start date of his trial. No, absolutely, Peter. I mean, the NGC is happening in May. The court case is in on the 19th of Feb. But remember, Esma um, Khashule is charged together with others, uh, Mr. Saudi included, but he also faces charges alone. So on the Saudi matter, I mean, they were 
essentially postponing uh, Ace Mahashule's case till February because um, Mr. Saudi's case and the other accused, including former MECs and uh, the mayor of a uh, former mayor of uh, um, you know Bloemfontein, um, that part needs some wrapping up. But in terms of the Prika Act, which is essentially Mr. Mahashule's uh, charges um, and the charges of gratification, um, those charges already the NPA said they could prosecute them. You know, it was a bail application year. Uh, really. Uh, so they were ready from the get-go. I think what Mr. Mahashule would like to do between now and then, and I think that is why the person I spoke with earlier is in the provinces amongst uh, other colleagues, is to use the time now to try and ratchet up uh, this narrative that there's a conspiracy, that the enemies have taken over the ANC, and that they're trying to uh, destroy him. The problem is that um, he has not declared uh, his uh, uh, you know, decision to want to run for president. So which political ambitions are being thwarted here. Do you know what I mean? It's not as if he's the incumbent, he's not the deputy president. So it's a little bit hard. And of course, outside the courts on Friday, his supporters were at odds about, you know, when they were pressed on what the motive for the political, uh, supposed political conspiracy was, they all said, no, they want, uh, you know, they don't want Ace to be president. But uh, Ace is the Secretary General. He has not thrown in his hat uh, to become uh, the president. In fact, he will have to jump over a very ambitious uh, deputy president, deputy president, President David Mabuza, as well as the Treasurer General of the ANC, Paul Mashatile. So it's hard to yeah. um, tie Mr. Mahashule's conspiracy theories to his political career um, because he is he's not automatically in line, uh, you know, for that presidency. And of course, um, the case against Mr. Mahashule is an old case, uh, Peter. He's been in power in the in the ANC in the Free State for 20 years. He was the premier for a, a long time. And um, I think it's going to be yeah. very hard for him on the facts of the matter to argue that there is, in fact, a conspiracy against him because the chief conspiracy, of course, is against Zuma. So he will have to almost stand in line in terms of, you know, as, as far as conspiracy theories goes. And I don't know that he has enough to persuade a membership. And there's nobody really in the top six who's going to come to his uh, defense, is there? I mean, neither Paul Mashatila, the Treasurer General, as you say, nor David Mabusa, the Deputy President, are likely to sacrifice their political ambitions uh, to save Ace Mahashule. Spot on, Peter. Spot on. And in fact, efforts to try and to show you how toxic the situation is in that top six, right? So over the weekend, Jesse Duarte, who's the Deputy Secretary of the party, wrote a uh, letter um, saying, you know, that people need to get on with their membership and a whole range of other things. Uh, but a person in her office, a staffer, writes the letter and inadvertently signs the letter as Secretary General and not Deputy. And then suddenly Jesse has to put out yeah. fire saying, I'm not trying to usurp uh, the SG's position. Uh, this was, you know, malicious and so on. And, and you can see the toxicity of that relationship. So everyone's kind of in it for themselves. We shouldn't row, rule out the powerful Guedemantash. He's very muscular in his position as chairperson of the African National Congress. I won't put it past him if he tries to make a play for the presidency. So Isma Khashoggi really is going to be hard-pressed to mount a campaign that is credible and jumps over the, the bodies of quite a few top six officials. They're not going to put their heads on a block for him. Their ambitions in the party is too, too high. Yeah. I was going to come to this later, but we'll do it now. I mean, in terms of in terms of its usefulness or, uh, or or its danger to Ramaphosa, is the top six, as you say, they're all you know in in there for themselves. 
can he rely on anybody there to, you know, to, to back him? Is Gwede not an, is Gwede not an ally? I think Gwede is an ally. Gwede is an ally insofar as um, wanting to deal with the issues of state capture. As you know, Mr. Mantash was already in front of the commission. The president himself needs to go. And that's a fact that many people forget. Everyone thinks that Zuma is the only ANC leader that's going to have to account. Cyril Ramaphosa is yet to have to account. Um, um, you know, Provin Gordon on the 29th, I think, or the 30th of November, is going to be cross-examined by the former head of SARS, Tom Moyani. So a lot of ANC yeah. leaders are still going to go. So I think, yes, um, he does have support in the top six for the processes that has been resolved on, both at NASRIC and in the NEC, which is, of course, the issue of corruption. And Peter, let me be blunt. The ANC cannot not deal with corruption because they need to vote. They need to get voters uh, to back them. They did very well in the in the few by-elections that we had last week. Um, uh, but that is not a, 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 you know, a blanket check for them. Uh, they're going to have to fight for their lives. And so if the ANC is not seen to clean up its they could be punished because their position isn't necessarily unassailable. And that's essentially the driving factor for why the Ramaphosa cleanup uh, has to succeed for other leaders as well. Because even if they have ambitions, Peter, if they don't win the confidence of the electorate, uh, they might just have to sit in the opposition benches. Yeah. You mentioned a lot of, uh, uh, you mentioned five of the top, of the top six, but we leave out Jesse Duarte quite a lot, the Deputy Secretary General. Yeah. Where does where does she stand? Is she I mean she she doesn't hold those kinds of ambitions. No, she doesn't, but she's an important cog. She is literally the person that touches base with constituencies that are often marginalized in the ANC. So um, you know, large swathes of activists that uh, are not classified as black Africans rally around Jesse. Jesse has pushed the issue of non-racialism in the ANC. She's pushed the issue of uh, female leadership. And of course, she's an old hand. She's been there for many, many years. She straddles uh, kind of the ANC uh, as we understand it in terms of exiles, but also, uh, you know, the UDF crowd, the mass democratic movement. And she's she's the administrative hand. And, and let me say she is, for all her madness at a public level, inside the organization, she's a very deft operator, Peter. But here's the interesting thing. You know, right. I tried to find out whether Jessie had shifted in terms of her allegiance, because as you know, she was not a supporter of President Ramaphosa's presidency at Nazrik. She was with Nkosazana Tamini Zuma. And I checked with someone who knows her very, very well. Um, and if we ever get together, if this COVID pass, I'll show you a message on my phone that says, Ace and Jesse hate each other with a passion was the message I got back <laughs> from the person that I was yeah. checking with. And so there's no love lost between the secretary and the deputy secretary. And if you listen to Jesse's messages when Ace and his supporters were um, addressing the crowds outside on Friday, she was the one official that constantly reminded them that the ANC has full confidence in the rule of law, in the courts, and that law enforcement agencies must do uh, their jobs. She reminded them, you know, she did the RET rhetoric, but she didn't leverage that as you either do RET or you sacrifice the court system. So there you can see yeah. how absolutely adroit she is at managing, uh, you know, the kind of um, uh, nomenclature and logic yeah. and lexicon of the ANC, but standing firm on the issue of constitutionalism and the rule of law. So in her, I think Ramaphosa has a very good, uh, you know, operator on the ground for the moment, uh, Peter. 
I've often thought I've often thought I've often thought that actually, and I remember clearly in December 2017, at the moment that the ballots were counted and announced, yes. Ramaphosa was first, and he won, and he went up onto the dais, and then the others all came up, and she she came up eventually, and and they she he sort of bent down to hug her because she's not uh, very tall. Yes. Um, I, I clearly heard her say to him, "Thank you very much, Mr. President," or "Thank you so much." Mr. President, Absolutely. and I often wondered what she was, what she was thanking him for. You know, Peter, what is interesting is Jesse was the only ANC top six member that won convincingly. Um, her opponent was the current Kusatu president, Zingi Swalosi, for that position. And she won. She won hands down, right? Because there were a lot of people who argued that she is simply a good ANC hand. And the thing is that she also has ensured that Nkosazana Damini Zuma and uh, Cyril Ramaphosa work together. And she's been the bridge between the two of them. Um, and I think that if one were to place her now, one would uh, have to, I mean, if I am looking at one, my engagements with her on critical issues, but also just the way in which she kind of holds the line. You remember when the president wrote to the members, imploring them to, to, to step up on the issue of corruption and do the honorable thing. And we had that NEC meeting yeah. and everyone thought he was going to be, you know, slaughtered because Jacob Zuma had said that his attempt uh, to write that letter was yeah. throwing the ANC under the bus. She was the one who held the line. She came out of that meeting. She gave me an interview on the fix. So I think um, she is definitely an ally during this period. And like I said, the person I chatted to knows Jesse for all her life and uh, said to me that, um, you know, while she and Gwede Mantash yeah. didn't necessarily all get on, uh, they they were united around what they believed were core ANC values. And and um, she and yeah. Ace do not get on around around those things, uh, Peter. So she's definitely in, in Ramaphosa's camp, absolutely. So we've, we've, we've dealt with the Zondo Commission. We've looked at, at Ace Makashuli in terms of the fights going on at Cyril Ramaphosa and around him. But you've also wrote uh, on Sunday in the Sunday Times a very interesting story about the NPA itself, where where the failure we keep calling her the new uh, uh, um, uh, director of the of the NPA, but she's been around for quite a while now, yeah. Shamila Batohi, where your story detailed how she was coming under attack yeah. from a group of prosecutors um, who were accusing her probably of racism. Um, in one form or another, accusing her of, of, of unfairly attacking one of their colleagues. What is that story about? Because it had all sorts of nasty implications. Basically, Peter, you must remember the NPA has not covered itself in glory uh, in terms of staying yeah. outside of the machinations of the ANC. Each director, uh, from you know Menzi Similani to um, Koterian Peshe, um, had allowed uh, senior people, and Bulilani Nguka for that matter, had allowed senior uh, members of the ANC to use them uh, for political purposes. And uh, we thought then when Sean Abrams left that, you know, the NPA would be sorted. But the truth is, Peter, if you look at the NPA Act, it gives an enormous amount of power to provincial directors of public prosecutions. So much so that it's only on charges such as racketeering that a national director of public prosecution really leads the way. So Shamila came 
came into a broken organization and an organization filled, uh, I'm sad to say, with very corrupt prosecutors. If you take, for example, uh, the efforts to hold the former crime intelligence boss, Richard Mbluli, to account, it is the provincial director in Gauteng, uh, Mr. Chauke, uh, Andrew Chauke, who refused to prosecute him. And of course, um, you know, organizations such as the, the Helen Sussman Foundation and Freedom Under Law had to litigate. Uh, and now we see Mbluli serving an effective five-year sentence for one of the crimes he stood accused of and, and was found guilty of. And this goes for a whole range of, of cases uh, that was just miraculously let drop. I mean, who can forget, for example, um, you know, of Toshin Pandey, uh, the Zuma benefactor uh, linked to 2010 football corruption, World Cup corruption, charges disappearing. Now it's back on the road. And that's all got to do with what the provincial directors of public prosecution decides. So Shamila is um, having to clean out um, her own institution uh, to enable her to effectively go after the politically connected link to state capture. And um, she is coming up, you know, against um, uh, some big, big, big uh, players. Um, as you know, advocate uh, Nomtro Bojiba and Lawrence Mkwebe had to be removed. We had to have a commission of inquiry set up by the yeah. president uh, to remove them from office. And of course, they were firmly in Jacob Zuma's camp. So Shamila has to deal with corrupt politicians, but she also has to deal with corruption in her own backyard. And as she's cleaning up, um, those vested interests are being, um, you know, disturbed. And the latest was a petition signed by 30 prosecutors in the Houting district um, coming to the aid of um, a, an advocate, which is, of course, the wife of the um, public prosecution's head here in Gauteng. Um, and uh, what is interesting there is that, like you say, she's being accused of, of racism. I spoke to prosecutors when I did that story, uh, Peter, senior prosecutors that are involved in prosecuting state capture cases. And they were saying it's a very, very desperate attempt to try and push Shamila back, that she's actually, you know, a complete bureaucrat, plays things straight up and down. She treats everyone fairly. Uh, and a lot of people actually quite upset with her slow pace. Uh, but I think um, when you look at someone like Advocate Muiponi Noko, uh, who's of course implicated uh, in the attempt to try and frame Johan Boysen, a former head of the Hawks, yeah. in an internal um, you know, memorandum coming out of the NPA called the De Kock Report, then these attempts are, are not surprising. You know, um, just last week, she sacked Peter, uh, the former uh, KwaZulu-Natal head of the Asset Forfeiture Union advocates uh, Norks Molele, yes. yeah. And today, I don't know if you've seen the papers, um, he challenged her to come after him. So yes, she's coming up against some powerful people in the um, uh, the NPA, and that's to be expected. But I think she's determined uh, to clean that organization up. Karima, let me just ask you, so uh, the, the, your story, as I understand it now, so the the, the, the provincial director of public prosecutions, who presumably reports to her, yes, his his name is Andrew. He's Andrew Chauke, and 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 it is Andrew Chauke's wife, yes. who's also a prosecutor, yes, who her name is um, Pumeza Fuchani. Yes. Uh, the, the 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 lobby is for is for her because they claim that she is going after this after this woman. Um, uh, and are they? Are they? Are they? Do they believe that she's a that the that the wife is a proxy for 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 Chauke himself or? 
Is it uh, not that complicated? Absolutely, Peter. She is indeed a proxy uh, because um, what has happened is that advocate childcare has in fact um, undermined the decisions of Shamila Batua in two very important cases linked to state capture. The one is in relation to former General uh, Jan Mabula. He used to be attached to the Hawks in the Northwest. And uh, his unit was called the um, Unit Against um, Crimes Against the State. And that was a unit that Jacob Zuma essentially used to go after political opponents. So that unit went after Anwar Dramat, the former head of the Hawks. It went yeah. after Robert uh, McBride, the uh, head of IPED, uh, and a whole host of other people. And so he is implicated at the Zondo Commission of Inquiry, and he was supposed to stand trial, Peter, on the 1st of October. And um, Advocate Chauke had given him, and that was after Hermian Kranier had enrolled that matter. Uh, and then we, I was tipped off that Chauke had interfered and effectively allowed um, uh, Mabula and, and, and accused to make representations for a second time, by the way, to, um, uh, to Shamila. And this morning when I was following up on my story that I wrote that you're referring to, uh, I was told that... Um, Mabula is in fact going to be appearing. Um, I'm waiting to get confirmation on his appearance date. So there's a you know close quarter battle going on between Batoy and Advocate Chauke, who is the director uh, for public prosecutions in Gauteng, a very powerful uh, you know uh, province. So yeah. the other thing that people mustn't forget is that Chauke also applied to become the national director. He ran for the same post that eventually went to Shamila. So there is a history uh, of, of rivalry, of him wanting to be, uh, you know, the head of the institution and his wife, also quite a powerful person. Uh, in, and, and I'm getting yeah. my hands on some documents that indicates you the cases that both of them uh, are involved in and that they have actually dragged their feet on Peter. There's one case linked to yeah. um, Brian Klongwa, who's the former MEC for Health in Gauteng. That case is nine years okay. old, uh, Peter. Billy Hofmeyer, the former asset yeah. forfeiture head, handed Chauke that case. It was ready for prosecution, um, and Chauke did absolutely nothing about it. So a big fight happening there, and it's it's interesting that it is, in fact, um, Chauke's wife that has been the person that these yeah. prosecutors have yes. now rallied around, yes. Yeah. Uh, the, the 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 last of the of the of the sort of fronts that that uh, we, I wanted to talk about today was we you know away from Asma uh, Kashula and um, uh, and the NPA and and the Zondo Commission. You've also written about the police themselves, about IPED, yes. the Independent Police Sort of Investigations Directorate, uh, and the way that, as we know, a couple of months ago or a year ago now. Robert McBride, who was quite a forceful presence at the iPad as its leader, um, he was removed, I think, earlier this year by um, police minister, Becky Kelly. Yes. And, and he was replaced, I'm not sure when he was replaced, by Jennifer Ntlatseng, uh, who is now disbanding, disbanding or, 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 or standing down uh, some very effective units in IPED, um, which one would have thought, by virtue of what they've been able to achieve, would weaken their ability to to strengthen and to clean up the police service, which we all know desperately needs it. So she's disbanded the, the National Specialized Investigations Team, which I think you wrote in the FM, 
had arrested in the past year or so 10 police generals, yes. including including a deputy, the deputy national commissioner, uh, Bonang Mguenya, who is quite famous. Yes. Um, and you've spoken to the special investigations director uh, at the NPA, Hermione Cronier, and she was uh, very alarmed by what's been happening at IPED. Yes, Peter, as you know, just to kind of walk people back, um, Hermione Cronier is the person uh, that heads up the special investigative directorate set up by President Ramaphosa to fast track, uh, you know, state capture and corruption cases. She's been getting assistance from all the specialized units in the various forces uh, in law enforcement. And one of them is this effective team in IPED, which is called the National uh, Specialized Investigations Team, INSIT, that is what it's called. Um, So... Um, they, as I wrote in the piece in the Financial Mail, have arrested no less than 10 generals, including uh, the, uh, as late as last week, Thursday, the National Deputy Police Commissioner. She was sacked uh, following her arrest in relation to what we know as uh, the blue light scandal, which is, of course, um, a big corruption scandal involving a former acting national police commissioner, Homocha Patlani, and something like right. you know eight police officers. The, the total number is 28 in that case. And by the way, they appear today. I need to check on what happened in that case. But the long and short of it, Peter, is that this investigative unit in IPED has been extremely successful in looking at police corruption itself. Um, and there's a massive cleanup underway. So when uh, General Nguenya was arrested, it turned out that neither the executive director of IPED knew, neither Becky Taylor, because the arrests were initiated by Hermione Cronier uh, through her investigative directorate. And of course, that is exactly why she was set up to move really quickly. Um, and just following that arrest, uh, the IPED executive director held two meetings in which she said uh, to the members, the 11 members of this unit, I'm disbanding you. I don't get value for money um, and you are not uh, assisting. And more importantly, I don't know what you're doing. You don't report to me. You must decide whether you want to report to me or to Hermian. And uh, I'm disbanding uh, disbanding you. I then sent uh, a, a journalist to get some comment from uh, Becky Taylor on camera for my show, The Fix. And I sent written questions to his spokesperson and he uh, essentially lied and said the unit isn't uh, disbanded only to, um, of course, uh, I knew that he was lying because I had the recording of the second meeting where the director of IPED says very clearly, um, I'm disbanding you. Um, And the long and short of it is that the reason why they want to disband this unit, Peter, is because it is highly effective. It cuts too close to the bone. France's um, uh, um, Antoni, um, you know, who's a veteran of the state capture fight back uh, in terms of trying to get law enforcement uh, to deal with issues, um, speaks uh, of it in this way. He says, these are the guardians who watch the guardians. Um, In American parlance, they are your internal affairs. If you neuter them, you literally make it incredibly hard for the police uh, to be held accountable. Now, if you ask, yeah, if you're asking why was Robert McBride removed, like you say, he had a very strong presence. He didn't take his cue from politicians. And he, of course, you know, unearthed a whole range of things, opened a Pandora's box. So Becky Taylor, yeah. 
people must remember, returned under Cyril Ramaphosa as the police minister. But under Jacob Zuma, in the first term, he was the commissioner of police. And it was found, yeah. the commission that looked into his sacking, because Zuma sacked him from the police. Um, and it was, the commission was chaired by a retired judge, Judge Malloy from uh, Free State. And he found that when Becky Clearly was the commissioner of the police, he appointed the very general Mguenya uh, to her post as his chief of staff without properly a, advertising the post and two, actually conducting an interview. If you look at, I think, uh, pages 91 and 92 of that report, you will find that. This is Bonanga Mgwenya, who subsequently became Deputy National Commissioner and who's just been sacked. Who's just been sacked and, more importantly, arrested for uh, allegedly yes. being tied to corruption, taking kickbacks from a service provider who provides the police with blue lights. And so Becky Kele moved very quickly to try and disband this unit. And the good news, and again, if we tie it to the investment conference, Francis and Tony's uh, institution, the Helen Sussman Foundation, is fighting uh, the um, way in which the head of IPED reports to a, polit a political head, in this case, the Minister of Police. Yeah. They're fighting that case in the Supreme Court of Appeal, no less. And more importantly, one of the unions that um, organize in the public service, the Public Service Association, is also um, busy bringing an interdict um, to try and stop the disbandment of this unit, Peter, uh, and uh, is going to yeah. go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Becky Kelly. So that is something we really need to hold our, our eyes on. Why, why, is, why is Becky clearly behaving like this? I mean, why is he the Minister of Police if he can't behave himself? I think, Peter, this is probably someone that um, President uh, uh, Ramaphosa will have to reshuffle because Becky clearly has to answer for why uh, he appointed, um, you know, the... Uh, the, head, the chief of staff in his office when he was police commissioner in an unprocedural manner. And he can't possibly be the political head of an institution that he was sacked from in a dishonorable manner. Yeah, well, you know, he's been, he's been head of it for, uh, he's been the political head of it now for all of Cyril Ramaphosa's presidency, which is a real pity. But Karima, listen, thank you very, very much for joining me. And, um, and for and for your lucid uh, explanations of what seem to be extremely complex matters, and I, uh, I'm sure, as I have been, that listeners will have been much enriched by um, what you've had to say. And didn't wasn't it interesting? As you you mentioned the orange um, masks. Uh, masks the other day, <laughs> yes. but Cyril Ramaphosa, when he addressed the nation today, was wearing an orange tie. Absolutely, uh, presumably that. That is a subtle signal of support for the Zondo Commission. Absolutely. It's all in the symbolism, Peter, and it's all in the tie. That orange tie spoke volumes. Yeah. Karima, thank you ever so much for joining, and we'll talk again soon. It's a pleasure, Peter. Well, that's enough complexity for now. Thank you so much for joining me on my new podcast journey. I'll be back again with podcasts from the Edge next week with another difficult subject that I need to understand better. As I say, the best way to deal with things you don't get is to ask people who do get them. I'd really appreciate your company along the way.